Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6, if you will, please. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. The title of the message today is Overcoming Worry. Tina Sinatra recalled the sadness of her father's last days in entertainment. Uh, His performances were becoming more and more uneven, uncertain of his uh, memory. He became uh, dependent on teleprompters. When I saw him at the Desert Inn in, in Las Vegas, he struggled through the show, she said, and felt so sick at the end that he needed oxygen from a tank that he kept on hand. Another show, he forgot the lyrics of Second Time Around. She said a a ballad that he had sung a thousand times, and his adoring audience finished it for him, she said. I couldn't bear to see Dad struggle. I remember all the times he repeated the old boxing maxim, you got to get out before you hit the mat, he would say. He wanted to retire on the top of his game, and I always thought that he would, said Tina, that he would know when his time had come, but pushing 80, he lost track of when to quit. After seeing one too many of his fiascos, I told him, Pop, you can stop now. You don't have to stay on the road. And with a stricken expression on his face, he said, No, I've got to earn more money. I have to make sure that everyone is cared for. Sinatra died at age 82, worrying about having enough. What do you worry about? What fear is there in your life? According to the Gallup uh, poll, Americans hold a lot of fears in common. For instance, did you know that 51% of Americans are afraid of snakes. 51%. How many of you, like me, are part of the 51%? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. 51% are afraid of snakes. 40% are afraid of public speaking. 36% are afraid of heights. Being closed in in small spaces, claustrophobia, 34%. Those who are afraid of spiders and insects are 27%. Those who fear getting a shot, they're afraid of needles, 21%. 20% of the people are afraid of mice, and 18% are afraid of getting in an airplane and flying. There are several who are afraid of flying. I've got a few of my friends in here who are afraid of flying. Are you a person that's afraid of things? Do you worry about certain things in life? Are you a chronic worrier? Well, today's text from the Sermon on the Mount is about anxiety. And anxiety is an issue for all of us in some area of life. And that's why it's good for us to see what Jesus has to say beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, 
yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, Jesus says. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or where, uh, what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's begin by assessing our own anxiety. Let's take a look at our anxieties. Why do we worry? We worry about the things that we think would solve our problems. If only this could happen, then my problem would be solved. If I only had this, or if I could just get more of that, my troubles would be over. Jesus gives two basic examples of the main ingredients for anxiety. First of all is the stuff of life. A lot of people worry about the stuff of life. I'd say most people worry about the stuff of, a, uh, stuff of life. We're preoccupied with what we have or what we want or what we think we need or, and how quickly we can get it. The satisfaction of having enough is trumped by the desire to have more. <clears throat> you ask someone who's been very successful, how much is enough? And typically they'll say, well, more is enough. And when they get more, they need more. That's just the way that we are. In Jesus' days, the worry were about better food and more food, about better clothing, about housing, that it should be better than it is. Those are still the worries of today, but we've added to that list. Now we add things like cars. We worry about our car. We worry about our second homes and our boats and memberships, and and the list goes on and on. We can certainly have all of these things because God has promised that he wouldn't withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. But having something and worrying about having it are two different things. To worry about having more, to worry that you're not going to get to keep what you have, to live with a tight-fisted sense that if I don't hold tight to this, that somebody's going to take it away from me. To live like that is, is just too harsh. It's just too hard. And and let me just say this. To some of us who are what we would call conservatives, and there are many of us that are politically, we're conservatives. You want me to tell you one of our problems? One of our problems is that we worry too much. We're too fixated on situations that are outside of our control not saying we shouldn't be concerned, but we should never 
be in a state of worry. Most people push God out of their lives because they have worried about stuff so much that their lives are cluttered with the stuff of life and the attention that has to be given to it so that God takes a secondary role in their lives. Do you remember this text from the New Testament in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 16? But he said to him, a man once gave a a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuse. First said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Basically, what they are saying is that that we have placed into our lives certain distractions that keep us from coming to to the master's feast. In my span of lifetime, that's happened more and more. When I was was a, a kid, very few people took real vacations. Some did, but very few took real vacations. And if they did, they took one a year. I don't remember knowing anyone, as far as I can recall, I don't remember knowing anyone through high school or even college that had more than one residence. Now there's several of you that have the place where you live, and thank God for that, and a place at the beach or the mountains or whatever, and thank God for that. But life has changed over my span of life. It's just a whole different thing. And the kind of things that, that these people that were invited to the banquet worried about that kept them from the banquet, there's just more of that today. We live in a time when there's more distractions and more to worry about. And now that we have the second place, we worry about the second place. Now that we have this thing that we didn't have before, we worry about. Sometimes we have things that we worry about that we don't use enough. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, A lot of people have season tickets to the Florida State football games. A lot of people in in Tallahassee have season tickets to Florida State football games. You got season tickets uh, to the baseball games or basketball games or, or whatever. Now here's what I've learned about having season tickets. There was a time when I had them. When you have season tickets, you, you worry a little bit about having that ticket and not being able to go to the game. You ever had that experience? You've got the ticket and you can't go to the game and you say, what am I going to do with the ticket? And so you, you get on the phone and you start calling people. Hey, do you need a ticket to the game? Do you need a ticket to the game? I mean, I, I, I know folks that, that have tickets and they panic if, if they think those tickets are going to stay at home. They just panic about it because it's become something that they put into their life. And y'all, <clears throat> you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? It's something that you put into your life and now you worry about it. Whereas if you didn't have it, you wouldn't worry about it. I bought season tickets to a baseball game one time, to the baseball games one time. Somebody wanted to get rid of their season tickets. I said, sure, I'll buy them. I went to two games and worried about the rest of them. The next year... I didn't buy those season tickets, and I didn't worry about any of them. I didn't worry about a single one. In fact, I don't buy tickets too much anymore. 
uh, to Florida State events. And the reason is because I know there's enough worriers in Tallahassee who aren't going to go to the game that they're eventually going to call me. <laughs> and so that's what we do. We just go on them. Worried about that seat being empty, are you? Huh? Okay, sure, I'll go. Will you give me money for food? <laughs> that's a pretty good example, is it not? We put stuff in our lives and then we worry about it. In fact, we worry about it so much that it keeps us out of the master's, uh, from the master's table sometimes. And then you recall this in Luke 18 and verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus heard this. He said, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. The young man, but when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Sometimes the blessings of God become the worries of our lives and become the thing that keeps us from serving the one who blessed us. Of course, there was the rich fool who thought himself to be fulfilled because he had accumulated so much. And, and, and I know that it is hard not to focus on the stuff of life because we face those needs every day. However, living for the stuff of life to the point of worrying about it is a genuine problem for our relationship to God and truly causes anxiety for us. Be honest and assess your anxiety. Do you worry about the stuff of life? The stuff you got, do you worry about it? I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of it. I'm not saying you shouldn't be good stewards. But none of us should be full of anxiety over the stuff of life. It's just stuff for crying out loud. Here's the second thing that we worry about. We worry about not only the stuff of life, but the span of life. That's what Jesus said. In verse 27, which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of, of life. I, I, I think that we all have that concern. I can remember as a little boy thinking about how long I would live. I can remember that as a little boy. You say, well, that's a terrible thing for a little boy to think about. It probably is. But there are a couple of, of factors in that. I'm the last of nine children. You already know that. My father... And, and mother were older. My mother had me when she was older. And, and of course, my dad was older than my mom. And, and so I thought about their span of life. And, and other people had grandparents. Other kids that I knew had grandparents. <clears throat> I didn't have any grandparents. Uh, uh, Grammy and granddaddy, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a Grammy and granddaddy. Grandjan, I didn't have a, a Grandjan. I didn't have a Pops. And so I, I was not concerned about losing them. I'd already lost them before I even knew about them. My concern was in losing my parents and then thinking about my, my own span of life. A lot of people worry about the span of their lives and, and those that they love. Of course, the, the problem is obvious. Worrying about the length of life is counterproductive. If you want to shorten how long you live, worry about how long you're going to live. 
I had a friend the other day, he's preached here, you remember him, John Rawlings, Dr. John Rawlings. How many of you remember Dr. John Rawlings? Dr. Rawlings, he preached like this, had this kind of voice right here. Dr. Rawlings. Dr. Rawlings died last week on his 99th birthday. On his 99th birthday. I googled some top tips for living longer and uh, figured that I could share these with you. And, and there's a lot of expert opinions, and none of them agree. For instance, uh, one says you can live longer by drinking more coffee. That being the case, Cliff and Betty Todd <laughs> will live to be 200. <clears throat> They're the coffee-drinkingest coffee people I've ever known. Avoiding x-rays uh, is kind of interesting. I'm not an expert in living longer, but there are three things that I think are productive that we can do. I'm going to give you, they probably all have some biblical basis. One of them certainly does. Uh, eat better. That's, that's probably good. This is something that all of us have known since we were young, that we should eat better. Some of you actually enjoy eating better. I don't. There's nothing about eating better that I like. If, if, I, if I were to sit down and, and look at a choice between, you know, a pasta with cream sauce versus a salad with light dressing, that's a no-brainer. I may choose the salad with light dressing, but not because I want to. I don't want to eat that. I want to eat the pasta with cream sauce. And if you could put chocolate on it, I would eat it like that, too. We, in, in fact, most of us put off eating healthier until it's too late for healthy eating to do us any good. And, and we take comfort, you know, like a guy like John Rawlings lived to be 99. We take comfort in, I knew a guy that lived to be 95 years old and he ate country ham every morning for breakfast. We take comfort in that. I, we just put it off. But really, eating better is probably better for us. Obviously, it's better for us. Most of us know what we should be doing, but we're not doing it. Here's the second thing. Keep, keep it moving. Sir Isaac Newton's law of motion says that a body in motion tends to stay in motion, and a body at rest tends to stay at rest. We've heard that on the Celebrex commercial. That's why we wear seatbelts, because as we're going down the road, if at, at 30 miles an hour and we hit something, uh, our body continues to go down the road, unless we have something that holds us back. We have to keep it moving. We live longer when, when we are productive and occupy our, our day. <clears throat> there are days that, that, there have been days, I study, typically I study at home on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Last week I ended up studying on Friday as well. But typically <clears throat> I study on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And a lot of those days I don't get out of the house. And, and while I am, am happy about the studying and so forth, at the end of the day I think to myself, man, I never got out of this house. I don't like that. I, I don't care for that. So if you want to <clears throat> live longer, then you may want to eat better and keep it moving. And here's the main thing, trust God. Just learn how to trust God. 
Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make straight your paths. The great thing about trusting God is that when you come to the place where your health is a challenge or even your life is threatened, you know that you followed his path so the road that you're on is not some detour that you took along the way. Here's, here would be, to me, the, the, uh, a real big problem. I don't mind getting sick, getting sick and dying as long as I'm on the path that God had for me. I don't want to be on a detour. Do you understand? I don't want to be on a detour over here and then get sick and die and think to myself, man, I died on the detour. I want to I die on the highway, not on the highway, but you, you understand, <clears throat> on the main path. I wanna, on, on the main path. A lot of people, a lot of people get off the bus too soon. And they, they have a hard time with the idea of trusting God. And, and it is just a, it is counterproductive to being able to live worry-free, not to be able to trust in God. In fact, that's the second thing, accept your Father. Accept the Heavenly Father, who He is and what He has for you. Let's go back and see what Jesus is trying to get His audience to do. He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more of more value than they? Let me just stop and ask that. Aren't you more valuable than the birds of the air? Now, I'm sure that there's some people that would think that the birds are more valuable than you. But I don't think that birds are more valuable than me. I came around the corner the other day and saw three buzzards in the road. You know a buzzard's a bird. Surely God doesn't value that buzzard more than he does me. God had provided some sort of an armadillo for those buzzards. Surely God provides for me. He cares more for me. Verse 28, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. He's trying to get those who are hearing the message to accept that the Father loves them and cares for them. He told them to think about the way that God cares for the birds and and to put their value in perspective to their own value to God. What value does God place on me and what value does God place on you? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's how much God values you. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you and God loves me and he loved us enough to provide eternal life by giving his son, Jesus Christ, to be our sacrifice. If he loves us that much, why would he not love us enough to take care of our daily needs? Why would he not love us enough to to know and be concerned about the length of our lives and the length of our days? He loves us enough to care about the stuff and the span of life. We have to accept that. We have to accept that God loves us and he loves us enough to take care of us. 
Sure, he, we get up and go to work every day. Sure, we do those things, but that's the way that God takes care of us. You say, well, nobody's done anything for me. I've done it all for myself. Tell yourself that the next time you see someone who cannot get out of the chair. There's a reason you can get out of the chair. It's because God cares about you. God cares for the person in the chair, too. I don't know why people worry, why any of us worry. Sometimes it seems that those who worry the most are the ones who feel that other people deserve more care than themselves. They have self-esteem problems. They rarely worry about the people that they love. I've I've told you this story before, and, and, and I'll quickly go through it. Years ago, a dear, wonderful lady in, in the church where I was pastor in Nashville, she had constant worries about whether or not she was going to heaven when she died. Now, this is a born-again believer, and in a moment, I'm going to talk about the, the necessity of being born again, but she was a born-again believer. And I'm telling you, this woman got saved again and again and again because she just couldn't hold on to, to it with her, with her faith. She just somehow or another worried so much about her faith. And one day she came to my office and she was just all torn up about whether or not she was going to go to heaven. And, and I, I'll, I'll call her Henrietta. I, I, said, uh, I said, Henrietta, it's not really that that I'm worried about. I think you're okay. I said, the thing that I'm concerned about is your husband and, and your two oldest daughters. Now, your husband and your two oldest daughters have professed that they're saved, and, and they have made a profession of faith, and they have asked Jesus to come into their heart, and, and they've been baptized and, and followed the Lord in believer's baptism. But I, I'll be honest with you, Henrietta. I think they're going to hell. She said, what? I said, you two girls and your husband, they're going to split hell wide open. She said, why would you say that to me? I said, well, I'm just saying. I mean, I, you, I just want to be honest. Do you think that they're going to go? Well, y'all know that they are. Well, why do you know that? Well, because God loves them and because they put their faith in Jesus Christ and because they're saved. I know that they're going to heaven. I said, oh, so it's just you that God's ticked off at. (laughs) Bing. She looked at me. She said, okay, I'm going to never come to you to get saved again. I said, deal. (laughs) It's a good deal. That's the way we are, though. Worriers have a tendency to think that they're not good enough for God. Can I tell you this? None of us are good enough for God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. None of us are good enough for God. None of us are. There's nothing that I can say, be, or do that God would say, all right, buddy boy, if anybody deserves to be saved, it's you. We're all sinners saved by grace if we're saved. You really ought to think about this if you're a worrier. 
if you're anxious about the stuff of life and the span of life. My third encouragement for anyone who wants to overcome worry is to access your position. Before you can access your position, you have to evaluate it. What is your standing with God? We've just talked about that. What is it? Now, I will tell you this, I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt their salvation, but as a pastor, one of the things that concerns me greatly is that people will come, they'll sit in the congregation, they'll hear the message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ loves them and cares for them, and they'll hear that they must be born again, and and they will say, that is absolutely right, Mm -hmm, I agree with it, yet they never have a time where they give their lives to Jesus Christ in a born-again experience. They they settle for a religious connection to God without a vital connection by being born again. Being a part of the church and being in a relationship with God may not be the same thing. There are a lot of people who can join a church that do not get in a relationship with God. How do you get in a relationship with God? Jesus said that we must be born again. By grace, we're saved through faith. It's a very simple thing. By faith, we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. I, I have, and I'm not, I'm not, again, not trying to get good people to doubt real salvation, but there's no question that in a congregation of this size, there's somebody here that does not know for sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven. There's this thing that keeps turning inside of you, and it keeps, you're, you're concerned about it, and, and you know that you've not given your life to Christ, yet you continue to put that thing off. And the question is, why do you put it off? You put it off for the, for the same reason of the topic that we're talking about today. You're worried. You're worried of what somebody is going to say. Please don't be worried about that. That is not an issue to be concerned about. The issue to be concerned about is, do I know that I'm on my way to heaven at the end of this life? Can I access salvation so that I can live this worry-free life? That's the real point. It's, it's so ironic that so often we allow worry to keep us in a state of worry. That's something that must be made right in your life and mine. When, when were you saved, Pastor Ray? Many of you know the story. When I was eight years old. Now you say, how? Yeah. How can you be saved when you're just a little boy? How can you really know for sure that you're saved? Let me tell you what I did. This is really, really difficult. I remember being on my knees before God, knowing that I was a lost sinner, believing that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And here is exactly what I said, Gene. I said, Lord, I'm a little boy. I don't know what to do. Please save me. In about three weeks, I'll be 63 years old. So that means that was about 55 years ago. And could I tell you that that experience of being born into the family of God 55 years ago has not changed any more than my experience of being born into the Ray family almost 63 years ago. I was born a ray, and I'm still a ray. 
I was born again and I'm still born again. If you rejoice in your salvation today, say amen. Amen. It's just a rejoicing. Now, earlier I read to you John 3.16. Here are two verses that follow John 3.16 that a lot of times people don't realize or don't read. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son, uh, the only son of God. If you do not know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior, here's what's going to happen. At the close of this message today, now listen to me, those who may worry about what others think. At the close of this message today, we'll do what we always do. We'll give an invitation song. A song will be sung. And you will be invited. In fact, the song today is going to be, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. And you'll be given an invitation. There'll be an invitation for folks to join the church. There'll be an invitation for folks to to come and and lay their worries at the altar and and never to pick them up again. There'll be an invitation for you to come and to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. I invite you to come today. You say, I'm already a church member. Please don't let that worry cause you to, to stop. Everybody thinks I'm already saved. Please don't allow that. My, my dear, wonderful wife got saved on April the 15th, 1973, at the age of 22 years old. She got saved on a Sunday morning. We were getting ready to join a church. And I said to her, are you ready to join? And she said, I don't think I'm saved. And I said, you you don't think you're saved? She said, no. I literally stepped in the aisle, pulled her out in the aisle, put my hand at her back and pushed her and said, go get saved. Yeah, I don't think anybody ought to pressure people. I don't know. Jan, were you glad I pressured you that day? Yeah, that's, that's all right, wasn't it? Go get saved. She got saved. I sat down and prayed. I prayed for for her, I prayed for me. I prayed that God would, would develop me in my spiritual walk, that I'd start to know how to lead people to Jesus Christ. Today, you'll have an opportunity to get saved. And, and please, if you're, it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are. Please, please don't sit there and stare. Please come. Please do. Well, we're talking about how to take care of your worry and the fourth step is simply to abandon your fear in verse 33 but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you there's two things here one is the first thing that we ought to do when we have a new heart we're new people and the first thing that we should do is seek first the kingdom of God in our lives don't you feel that That is something that a Christian should do. If we trust him for our salvation, if we trust him for our eternity, shouldn't we seek him daily in our lives? I read the other day that most people really believe that Christian commandments or the the claims of, of the Bible are intentionally too severe. 
They believed that when, when the word of God was given, that it was given uh, intentionally more than it should be so that we would do even doing considerably less, we'd still be pleasing to God. Kind of like some of you that set your clocks ahead 10 minutes in the house so you won't be late. There's somebody that does it right there. <laughs> or their wife does. What, you know, people that, that it's, that's the way that it is. There, there are a lot of people that just somehow or another, they, they don't really think that God intended for them to seek first his kingdom. They believe that God intended for him to be a part of their lives, but not to seek first. Once we know that we're saved, the first thing that we ought to do is seek anything and everything that God has for us. And the last thing that we ought to do is found in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The last thing that we should do is worry. It's just the last thing that we ought to do. Now, I have to sometimes take myself and shake myself out of worry. I really do. Something will get on me. It'll get on me and I'll think about it and think about it and dwell on it. And, and I'll say, what is wrong with you? I'll say it out loud. What is wrong with you? Quit thinking about that. That's just silly. Stop it. You can't change that. You can't go back in time. Just forget it. When we worry about tomorrow, we rob our ability to serve the Lord today. When we worry about yesterday, we, we rob our ability to serve the Lord today and tomorrow. You've just got to stop it. Here's what George Mueller said. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. The beginning of faith is the end of anxiety. This morning, I want to invite you to end your anxiety and to overcome your worry, or at least begin to overcome your worry. Some people don't want to overcome their worry. They, they've, that's their lifestyle. They like worrying. They're going to continue to worry. Worry is going to be a part of them. They're going to continue to worry, worry, worry. But at some point, somebody who wants to end it needs to stop it. And here's where that begins. It begins with assessing your relationship to Jesus Christ. Do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? He said, I'm not really sure. Well, then maybe you ought to worry. But that could stop if today you would come and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Is it a hard thing? No. Like I said, Lord, I'm a little boy. I don't know what to do. Please save me. And he did. And after that, I made a public profession of faith, and I got baptized. And I began to try to live for the Lord, and one thing led to another. And really, it was when my wife was saved on April the 15th, 1973, that God kicked my spiritual life into high gear, and things really changed for me and for her when I began to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But the first thing any of us have to do is to assess our standing before the Lord. We have to start with a certain and sure relationship to Jesus Christ. And after that, it's a matter of assessing our position in Him and abandoning our fear. I'm a child of the King. Why should I worry? Why should I fear? I'm a child of the King. 
You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray, lchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.